This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We survived another week. Some close calls in there. It's Friday, February 18th, 2022. And these are your top true crime stories from around the earth, the entire planet. These are all the best true crime stories. You're welcome. Hey, uh, a couple announcements at the top of the show. Uh, I have to make my first correction. I have to correct a little bit from last week's episode. Uh, Damien Eccles, part of the West Memphis Three, last week I said he was a magician for hire. You could hire him to come and do card tricks and stuff like that for your uh, for your birthday parties. He's not that kind of magician. Thank you for sending me all the corrections and all the texts and messages. And uh, Yes, okay, sorry. He's not that kind of magician. He, he he practices forms of magic of the um, the uh, prognosticator, the uh, shaman variety, the real stuff. So sorry about that and and Godspeed on your efforts to prove your innocence. That was a weird one, huh? Uh, uh, the other announcement for this week is true crime. This week has joined up with Glassbox Media to take over the world. And uh, I've joined up with Megaphone to bring you the podcasts. Hopefully all this is going without a hitch and the move is seamless and you didn't notice anything except for me telling you this right now. But we shall see. Um, hopefully all the feeds. I should still be available. I should, you should, anything you subscribed at or on, you should still be subscribed. So let me know if there are any issues. Okay, let's get into the top stories. Uh, this is a full show this week, folks. There's lots of lots of good stuff here. Um, the top story is insane. Um, I have found 
Like I've been waiting. Remember when Barack Obama gave that speech at the Democratic National Convention uh, before he was elected? This was like four years before he was president. And he got up there and he started talking and everybody – like the whole room got quiet because you could just – you you could hear the inspiration in his voice. He talked like uh, presidents of the past, the, the great leaders that we haven't heard for from a while. He was – he was not fearful. He didn't care, um, and he uh, he he spoke so eloquently. And I haven't I haven't had that feeling ever since since then. Uh, until I learned today about this district attorney in San Francisco named Chesa Boudin. I believe I'm pronouncing that right, Chesa Boudin. Um, this guy is amazing, and I can't wait to vote for him for president one day. Uh, I'm going to tell you all about him. Here's why he's in the news. He announced he was going – like he and his prosecutors were going through some files in a case that they were bringing to trial, and they found inside some paperwork that showed that police had been using DNA from rape kits – to identify suspects, and when I say they're using DNA to identify suspects, I don't I don't mean that they're using the DNA from the suspects of the rape cases. They're using the victims' DNA to match up with other potential crimes. Um, this uh, apparently there was a woman who there was DNA found at a crime scene. I think it might have been a burglary. Uh, they ran it through the system, and because she gave her DNA. As a victim in a rape case years ago, it matched. Um, now, maybe you're on the side that doesn't think that's a big deal, but here's here, because a crime was committed, right? And they got the right person. <laughs> here's here's why it's such a big deal. First of all, the the third rail of DNA databases is the Fourth Amendment. Uh, unwanted search and seizures. It's a big deal. It's a big amendment. It's it's right up there at the top. And a lot of proponent or a lot of op opponents, a lot of people that are opposed to using DNA databases to find people, point to the Fourth Amendment and says, and, and they say, oh no, no, no this is this is um, unwarranted search and seizure. You can't be doing this. But we've kind of looked the other way because we're finding serious criminals. We're, we're finding serial killers, rapists. That have gone. There's no other way we'd find them without these databases. So we're walking a fine line, and everybody needs to do the right thing. And the police in San Francisco screwed everybody with this, and it's going to have major repercussions. Um, first of all, you're not going to get women reporting rapes if they think there's a potential a potential for the the police to use their DNA to link them to crimes later. They shouldn't have to worry about that when they're reporting their own crimes especially violent crimes. <sighs> As of right now, this, the, these DNA databases, it's totally unregulated. It's like the Wild West. And, um, and how bizarre is it for a prosecutor to come out, this uh, Chesa Bodine, uh, Bodine he, he came out and he announced this. He had a press conference and he says, we're doing the wrong thing. How often does that happen? The prosecutors aren't, aren't usually the ones to, to tattle on the police. Um, there's a little more background to this that makes it a little more interesting. 
So right now, uh, this DA in San Francisco, Chase Boudin, he's facing a recall. Um, why? Because he got a lot of people upset, a lot of people scared because he announced plans to shut down prisons and jails. He doesn't believe that so many people should be incarcerated at the moment. Now, he has some personal uh, relation to all this and 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 seeing it from the other side that most people don't get to see because Chase's parents were members of the Weather Underground. This was a domestic, some would call it a domestic terrorist organization. They did... Uh, they did some things that, that did result in death. I guess you would call them a domestic terrorist organization. They wanted to change the world and uh, and make it better in their own way. Um, this is related to the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and they had these grand ideas to make the world a better place. And certainly some of them overstepped. Now, Chase's Parents are, are allegedly, uh, you know, they were convicted, so I, I guess we don't even say allegedly. They were involved in this um, stick-up involving a Brinks security truck, and, and a person was, was killed during that. They, I believe his parents were simply the getaway drivers, but anyways, they were involved. So when he was a little boy, he'd have to go to prison and in order to see his parents. His mother got out. His father's still in there, probably will be until the day he dies. So he knows what it's like to be on the other side. He wants to change things. And he's doing it the right way. He's not blowing people up. He's not killing people like the Weather Underground did. He's doing it the right way through uh, political moxie. And he's made himself the DA. He's 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 become the DA, DA in San Francisco. This is a big deal. This is like, this is like Shakespearean in scope. <sighs> One of the people that would like to see him go is the police chief, William Scott in San Francisco. He's angry because uh, because Boudin is also prosecuting a guy named Terrence Stangle, who is a former police officer who's alleged uh, allegedly he used excessive force to beat a man with his baton. Now, according to USA Today. <laughs> Ter Terrence Stangle is the first policeman in San Francisco to be brought to trial for excessive force ever. Do, do you think the police there don't use excessive force? No, no, no. Just like anywhere else. Of course they do. Um, so you have to ask, why is this the first person to go to trial? It's because usually you have a, a the lead prosecutor, the lead district attorney goes along to get along with the police. This guy's not having it, though. This guy's actually taking a stand for the right thing. This is amazing. Um, anyways, he held this press conference. He's like, hey, guess what the police are doing? Um, they're using rape kits to find suspects in crimes. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, of course, the charges against this woman were dropped after this came to light. Um, Chief Scott has said he's committed to ending the practice after they investigate this some more. Uh, that's probably not enough. Uh, Scott needs to go away, obviously. Uh, anybody involved with this should be fired. Um, this is going to have ripple effects for years. First of all, women are, like I said, they're, they're not going to be reporting these rapes. Um, also, CNN <laughs> did a study. They showed that San Francisco doesn't really care about rapes anyways. The, the police over there, they don't seem to. Because their clearance rate, their clearance rate for rapes, 
was just 12% last year. You know what the national average is for cities like San Francisco? 33%. They're at 12%. That means there's some negligence going on there. Apathy. Whatever. They don't care about these rapes, and yet they'll use the victim's DNA to to link up with these other crimes. It is nutty. So have a look at that. Look up Chesa Boudin. This guy is something else. Um, you want to keep him on your radar if you have any interest in politics. I, I also wonder, like, maybe one of the reasons all these rapes aren't, aren't uh, investigated by the police is because in order to live in San Francisco, you have to make a million dollars a year to afford housing there. Everybody there is somewhat of an important person. Anyways, the other story this week, I'm sure you you saw this. It's uh, super scary. You remember that um, movie in the, the... I thought it was the 80s. It actually came out in 1991, directed by Wes Craven, this horror movie called The People Under the Stairs. I remember seeing that... Uh, the cover of the VHS when I'd go and rent movies with my parents on the weekends. Uh, I was always too scared to rent it just because of the cover. But uh, in that movie, these burglars break into a house and end up finding a bunch of very pale children living in the basement, like hidden, kept secret. Well, it's kind of like that. This uh, There's a detective out of uh, Sagerties, New York, the police department, very... Smart detective Eric Thiel. They had served a search warrant on this house that was owned by Kimberly Cooper and Kirk Schultes Jr. They were looking for Kimberly and Kirk's daughter. Now, they have two daughters. The younger one's been missing for a number of years, and the police suspected that the parents still had her. She was Both the girls were taken away for uh, reasons that haven't been made public yet. Uh, but they were taken away by child services and placed in other homes. Um, but the younger girl disappeared while the older one was at school. Police suspected that the parents were hiding her. Um, so they served this the search warrant. And Eric Thiel was walking around. They, you know, the girl's nowhere to be found. But he just has this, this inkling, this like Columbo-esque type of, of inkling, this, this thought that something wasn't right with the stairs. And he looked closer, and right between where the stair was and the riser, it looked like he could see a blanket back there, like in between the boards. So they took out some of the boards. Sure enough, under the stairs was six-year-old Paisley Schultes and uh, with her mother. There were some blankets down there. It was wet and dank. And likely they had been hiding there when... There were other search warrants served before, and they couldn't find them. So she's been there with her parents. This is a this is a tricky case, right? Because, you know, they're hiding this girl. Hopefully she wasn't under the stairs for very long. Uh, it seems like she did have a bedroom there, also in the basement. Um, but it's hard to be really angry at these people until we know why the children were taken away in the first place. Um, you know, was it drugs? Was it something more serious? I don't want to make any allegation. I don't know. I just know that, like, as a parent, there's nothing I wouldn't do to 
to have my children with me. So, uh, scary case. But I'm waiting. I'm I'm withholding judgment until we find out the reasons why the girls were separated in the first place. Uh, because I can understand, you know, parents. If, if it was certainly if it was drugs, if you got clean, you'd want to be with your kids. So I don't know. This is a this is still developing the story. But anyways, they they found this girl under the stairs. Final final top story this week uh, involves a interesting Hollywood con. So there's this Italian guy, Chuck, who's investing people's money. Uh, this is a little background, by the way. I want to I want to start off with a little background before we go into the main story, and I want to tell you about this Italian guy, Chuck. Back in the 1920s, he was investing people's money uh, right before the stock market crashed. And he was promising a sweet 50% return on their money in 45 days. Now, he had this idea to buy up postage stamps from other countries and sell them for face value here in the States. Because of the varying exchange rates, it's a clever way to make a little money on the side. It's called arbitrage. Now, we're talking like pennies. But if you if it you have a big enough volume, it can add up, just like office space. Remember, they were just taking pennies, but they checked their account, and there's like millions of dollars. It's kind of like that. Now, it would never add up to 50% of an investment, though. Never, never. Um, <laughs> but they didn't know any better, these investors. So to keep his promise, what Chuck was doing was he was taking the new investors' money and giving it to the old investors to make up that promise 50%. Now, if you're good at math, you know this can't last forever. By the time he got caught, Chuck, uh, you know, known by his mother as Charles Ponzi, he'd lost $20 million of his investors' cash, and that is how the Ponzi scheme was invented. It's an easy con. People fall for it still. Just ask Bernie Madoff. There's nothing rich people like more than making a lot more money. So here we have B-movie actor Zachary Horowitz, enter Zach, a.k.a. Zach Avery, who was sentenced this week to 20 years in prison for his role in a Ponzi scheme in Hollywood that defrauded investors of over $230 million. Here's how it worked. Horowitz created a company, one uh, I-N-M-M Capital, one in M-M Capital. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. What he was selling to his investors was licensing rights for film and TV, specifically film and TV from HBO and Netflix. He said he had a deal with HBO and Netflix to distribute their film and TV in Latin American countries. So they would sell the licensing rights. His investment firm would buy them up, and then they'd distribute it and make sweet profit. And he showed his investors some emails and letters from executives at HBO and Netflix. All these were totally made up. They had no idea for years. And he would return their investment with as new investors came in. So word got around. This guy was actually making lots of money for people. So he'd get even more investors. And then he'd take that money and give it to the old investors, and it kept churning and churning. As long as there were new investors, he bought a $6 million house near Hollywood, really lived the life. Now, 
eventually he ran out of new investors and he started bouncing checks and this started to catch up with him. Now, I do have to – and everything came crumbling down. You know, When HBO and Netflix got wind, they started cooperating with the FBI and this everything just, just crashed around this guy. He had to know it was coming just like Bernie Madoff. But what's interesting is, you know, I can tell you, you know, my my side my side hustle is I've been, you know, I've been writing for TV and film in Hollywood for about 10 years now. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's insanely difficult to get money out of anybody in Hollywood. It's all risk averse, everybody's scared to give money. So the fact that this guy was able to convince people to give him $230 million, that tells me he could have been an amazing producer if he had just been legit. He obviously can talk the talk. And it's, you know, all you need to do to be a producer out there is to get that money. And he could have made some excellent films with that and could have been a real producer. Instead, he'd made nothing and conned everybody. And now he's going to prison. So wild story. I'm sure it'll be... A new series on Netflix or HBO very soon. Anyways, um, we're going to take a short break. I'll be back with cold case updates and a crazy genetic genealogy story as always. Um, Some movements in the charts as well. I'll be back in two and two. Welcome back to Mr. Belvedere starring Christopher Hewitt. Uh, Some cold case updates this week. Uh, We didn't get to this last week, but major update in the Brandon Lawson case. It's one of the bigger stories in true crime. You should should be aware of this, but let me give you a little background. Um, 26-year-old Brandon Lawson went missing in 2013 after an argument with his girlfriend. This is in Texas. He uh, Brandon had a history of substance abuse. It was possible he had taken meth that day. Around 11.30 p.m., he called his father, said he was coming over to his house, leaving his girlfriend's place. He left left the girlfriend's place at around 11.54 to go to his dad's. At around 12.30 a.m., he called his brother Kyle to say he'd run out of gas and pulled over on U.S. 277 between San Angelo and Bronte, Texas. He said Mexicans were chasing him out of town. Kyle, his brother, asked him if he was hallucinating. Um, Brandon then called 911, said he needed police. While he was on the phone, he said he was in the middle of a field. Around 1.18 a.m., Kyle got a hold of Brandon again. Brandon appeared out of breath and said he was bleeding. Around then, a sheriff's deputy arrived at the uh, at the truck. There's no sign of Brandon. It could be that Brandon was hiding from the police because he had an active warrant out on him at the time. Kyle arrived then, looked, waited for like 45 minutes to an hour, Left the gas can, came back around 5 a.m., gas can was still there, truck was still there, Brandon was gone. It's one of those cases that's right up there with Maura Murray, you know, the vehicle on the side of the road, some weird action before the car breaks down, and no sight, no no sign of, of the person, no sign of the driver. And just like Maura Murray, we thought maybe this case would never be solved, but Uh, February 4th, Friday, it appeared that the remains of Brandon Lawson had been found. Oxygen.com reported that a private team of searchers found clothing 
that matched Lawson's on February 4th. They contacted police. Police came over, widened the search area, and then found human remains. Ladessa Lofton, that's Brandon's girlfriend, um, says she had utilized online advocates to help with the search, led by an advocate named Jason Watts. And they searched near where the truck had been found. They're currently testing for DNA. Everybody believes there's a really good chance that this is Brandon Lawson. So that mystery, at least that part of it, might be solved. Uh, Another update here. Prince Andrew has settled the civil suit um, brought against him by Virginia Giuffre. Obviously, everybody involved knew this was too risky to go to trial. You're not going to try the Grand Old Duke of York, Slayer of Dragons, first of his name. You're not gonna you're not gonna put him on trial in New York. It's just not gonna happen. The Crown has too much to lose, including a seventh season. But Virginia Giuffray had accused Prince Andrew of sexually assaulting her when she was underage. She had been trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, Prince Andrew had sex with her in England and on Jeff's private island. Time is reporting that the monetary amount of this es- this settlement is estimated to be around $16 million. Now, Her Royal Highness the Queen is going to have to bail out her son a little bit, at least for some of that, which is why most of this money, it seems, is going to a nonprofit for victims, which is run by Jufre. Right now, Prince Andrew has given up all of his royal duties, and he's live, but he's still living in a residence owned by the Crown. Oh, another another part of this settlement says that Prince Andrew can no longer say that he did not rape Virginia Giuffre. He doesn't have to say he did. It just ha- he just can't say he didn't. Um, the 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 whole thing about the Queen and and the, and the Crown and the royalty over in England. It's interesting. I'm not totally against it, but what's weird is they get an a- annual as if as if that matters, as if they're listening and thinking, oh, James Renner says he's against the crown. Well, well, let's shut it all down. doesn't matter what I think. Anyways, they get an annual sovereign grant from the taxpayers in, in England of $117.6 million. Let's continue on. And to uh, make matters worse... You know, the Queen is, is closing in on her 70th Grand Jubilee, but the police have just announced they're opening an investigation into Prince Charles's charity. People are accusing Prince Charles's charity of making deals where you would pay him a lot of money and he would knight you. You know, I want to be a knight. Here's $5 million. Like, how much is that worth, really? Um... I mean, I'd pay a couple hundred dollars if they want to give it to me. I think Sir James Renner has a nice ring to it. Uh, you know, might get me free drinks at Applebee's. Genetic genealogy news. The A 70-year-old double murder mystery in Vancouver, Canada, has likely been solved, well, has been solved by genetic genealogy. According to the Vancouver Sun, this uh, case was known as the Babes in the Woods case. 
This uh, began January 15, 1953. The remains of two boys were found by workers in Stanley Park, Vancouver. And back in 53, they assumed that based on the, 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 the condition of the remains, the skeletons, that these boys had probably been murdered years before that. There were two boys. That's all they knew about them. When they announced it in the papers, nobody claimed them, though. Who were these boys? Now, flash forward. Diddly, diddly, diddly. Flash forward to uh, recent times. A woman named Allie Brady was going through old family photos, and she found a photograph of her grandmother with two brothers, uncles that she never knew about, never heard about. And family members told her that, oh, yeah, that, that's David and Derek Bosquet. If I'm getting that right, it could be Bouquet. Um, so what happened to them? Now, the story through the family, the family told her, Allie, that had been passed down through generations, were that the brothers had been taken by uh, social services, had been removed from the family. And they didn't know where they ended up, and they'd lost touch. Now, Allie hears this, and she's like, well, I'll just use genealogy to find my long-lost great-uncles. So she swabbed her mouth and sent her DNA off, and she started checking the databases, 23andMe, GEDmatch. At the same time, Vancouver police were also investigating this case, and they decided to use genetic genealogy to find the identities of these two boys that they didn't know who they were in, in the 70-year-old mystery. So they contacted Massachusetts-based Redgrave Research to do the genetic genealogy, and this all came together finally. Um, and the police contacted Allie's family and said, okay, we've, we've just gotten a match because you uploaded your own DNA. These are your long-lost great-uncles. Now, some interesting points. The Vancouver police had displayed the remains of these boys in their police museum until 1998 when somebody figured, hey, this is kind of gross. And then they had them buried. The police's theory was that the boy's mother had killed them and covered them with a coat before she left their remains. But Allie's family says the mother lived until 1996 to the age of 78. She was a nice old lady who babysat kids all the time. So what in the world? What is the true story there? There's still a there's still a piece of that that we we don't have. Maybe maybe we're not entitled to the entitled to the answer, but it's sure interesting. Uh, over to pop culture. Are you watching the Tinder? I'm sorry, the Tinder Swindler. Everybody's watching the Tinder Swindler. Say it with me, Tinder, Tinder Swindler, Tinder Swindler. Uh, <laughs> It's this new documentary on Netflix um, based on a real-life story. Not based on documentaries, of course, by nature. Anyways, uh, it starts out as a catch-me-if-you-can sort of thing. This young man is forging checks in Europe. He's arrested in Finland in, in 2015. After he's released from prison, he goes back to Israel and changes his name. Originally, uh, this, is, this young man's name was uh, Shimon Hayat. And after he was in prison, he went to Israel and changed his name to Simon Lviv. Why Lviv? Well, because there was this very famous man named Lev Lviv, 
who is an Israeli is an Israeli businessman known as the King of Diamonds. He owns lots and lots and lots and lots of diamonds. You want diamonds, you go to him. He makes hundreds of millions of dollars or something like that. So he changed his name so that he could start telling people that he was Lev Lviv's son and that he had tons of money. And then he went on Tinder and, and started getting dates. Everybody was swiping for him. And, uh, you know, he'd show this lavish lifestyle and say, hey, let me take you out. We'll spend $20,000 on clubs, drinks, champagne, some shrimp, whatever. Uh, so he'd meet these women on Tinder. He'd claim to be the Diamond King's son, spend tons of money on them. And he kind of started his own little weird sexual Ponzi scheme to keep this going. Uh, um, what he would do is... Eventually, there'd come a time, after he'd spend, like, tons of money on these women, he'd say, oh, you know what, um, I'm having problems with my credit card, uh, can I? Can you loan me some money? And they knew he was good for it, because he's the son of the King of Diamonds, so they'd take out credit cards, they'd pay him lots of money, and then he would ghost them, he'd disappear, and then he'd move on to the next woman, and he would take the money he got from the last woman, and spend it on the next woman. Until the money ran out. Then he would do it again. Something's wrong with the credit card. Loan me some money. Gets the money as soon as he has it. He's gone. That woman's in his rear view. He moves on to the next woman. And he was just keeping this going. Eventually it got it caught up with him. He's estimated to have uh, stolen about $10 million from these women. According to popculture.com. Um, you know what's... Funny little side story is he was arrested by Interpol in 2019, and uh, he was released early due to COVID, and he really wanted the COVID vaccine. He didn't want to get sick, so he pretended to be a medical worker to get the vaccine early. This really is kind of like a modern-day catch-me-if-you-can. He's still out there, by the way, and still wanted in several European countries. So if you're over there, look out for him. Watch out on Tinder. Be careful out there. Let's uh, take a look at the charts through Chartable, top true crime podcasts in the world. There's a new number four out of nowhere, like a rocket. Mr. Ballon and his strange, dark, and mysterious podcast. I didn't know from this, Mr. Ballon. I'm not much of a YouTuber. And just saying that ages me. Like, you can hear my age by saying, I'm not much of a YouTuber. But Mr. Ballon is very popular on YouTube. Uh, talks about these strange, dark, and mysterious cases in these YouTube videos. Now he's moved on to podcasts. He's taken these stories, formed them into narratives, and created this new podcast. And it's already at number four. He's given Crime Junkie a run for her money. Watch out, Ashley. Uh, anyways, I have to check this out because it's definitely my cup of tea. Here's the intro. Um, oh, uh, the latest episode, episode two, The Hallway. Listen to this right up. In 2011, a young woman opened the door to her place of work, a sporting apparel store in Washington, D.C., and immediately realized something was wrong. Too afraid to investigate what she saw and heard, she ran from the store and called 911. When police arrived and entered the store, they heard a sound coming from a hallway in the back, and they began to move forward. Slowly, they moving toward it. 
and then it ends in ellipses. You get, you're going to have to check out the podcast to figure out what they heard. I don't know what it was, but uh, that's a good opening. I'll definitely check it out. Well, that's the podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, uh, join me on Repod uh, after the show to talk about the show and what you thought and trade funny quips. Uh, the best way to join me on Repod is joinrepod.com backslash true crime this week. Joinrepod.com backslash true crime this week. Check it out. Um, and that's it, guys. And it's a Friday. The best day of the week. And as then the incomparable Murray Saul used to say on WMMS here in Cleveland, that means we got to, 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 our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.